Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 227 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. The man himself is back, though. Mr. Ayaz Sumra makes a return after about a five or six week um, absence. Ayaz, welcome back on the show. How are you? And where have you been? Oh, yeah, I'm, well, I'm back, Joe. Yeah, thank you. And I've been good. Yeah, I've just been ab- I've been abroad lately. So I've just come back now and back in the back into UK, got a rainy UK. Back in the UK, back on the podcast, more importantly. Let's dive straight in, though, to the review part of the show. I'm going to try to whiz through this as quick as possible. We're going to start here last Friday, the 14th of Feb, Valentine's Day. I'm sure I has had a fantastic Valentine somewhere abroad. Hasn't told us where he was. Um, but, yeah, let's start the, the Honda Center here in California, USA. Um I'm going to start with the undercard first. I'm going to start here with friend of the show, Blair Cobbs. He's now 14-0. and He's got that one draw, a win um, over Samuel Cote, who had a record of 23-2 and going in. It ended up being a split decision win over 10 rounds there for Blair Cobbs. Blair had a point deducted in the ninth round. Um, that one was for a low blow. By the way, the, the bout was for the NABF welterweight title. See, Blair Cobbs... As as I said, he's a friend of the show. I, I've got a lot of time for Blair Cobbs, but you know he's he, he is exciting. He he does have that fiery personality and stuff like that. But this win here to only beat Samuel Cote by a split decision, and Samuel Cote's had one fight in almost four years. That doesn't look good. Um, you know Blair Cobbs, a, a guy like him, he, he says he's going to be a future world champion. Like I said, I don't want to be critical, but he knows this. He he knows this. You know, anyone with a brain knows this. If you're going to be a, a future world champion, you know, you're you're you know a very good southpaw fighter, very you know very very quick hands. You know, you've got a lot of power, stuff like that. You should be blasting a guy out of there that's had one fight in four years. Not to mention that Samuel Cote is 36 years of age. Um, yeah, so so not very impressive for Blair Cobbs there. And like I say, you know, the fight before this one, Blair Cobbs, you know, he, he won the fight. He, he was able to stop the guy, but he was down himself in that fight. Um, there's been a couple of fights now where, you know, Cobbs, I think, has been down and stuff like that. I feel like he's kind of, you know, he's kind of shown his level a little bit. You know, I don't I don't think he's he's um, going to be a future world champion, unfortunately, unless something really does change. Obviously, Blair Cobb's been around the gyms for a long, long time. Um, you know, 15 fights in his pro career now. He's 30 years of age himself, you know, so he really does need to get going. Perhaps a change. Um, 
Also on that card, we've got to mention it, it's super, super impressive by Ryan Garcia, now 20-0, the young KO kid, a first-round KO against Francisco Fonseca, who's now 25-3 and with two draws. Um, Fonseca, a guy that, again, you know, has boxed at a high level, he's lost at a high level, really, you know, he hasn't got um, many, many great wins, to be honest, but he's known, really, for losing on points to Tevin Farmer and for being stopped in eight rounds by... Javante Davis, and it wasn't a great Javante Davis um, when 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 Javante boxed him. I can't remember um, what undercard it was on. I don't think it was a main event. I think Javante Davis. I think that was the fight where he seemed to be really distracted. He kept looking up at the ceiling and stuff for some odd reason. Anyway, um, it took it took Javante eight rounds. It took. Ryan Garcia just around. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful shot. He caught him right on the bottom with a left hook. Absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I've said it time and time again. He is, he, or he has all the ingredients to become the next superstar of boxing, you know. We we saw Javante Davis coming through. A young kid, um, you know, guided by Floyd Mayweather, knocking people out. Um, you know, but he just didn't, he didn't have that personality, you know. He, he didn't have... That that kind of special sauce to go with it. Dare I dare I speak like um, Lawrence Acoli there? But you know Ryan Garcia does have the full package. He's got the huge following. He's got the looks. He's got the personality, and obviously the most important thing he can fight, and he's exciting. You know, so Ryan Garcia. Wow. I mean, if he doesn't turn out to be a pay per view star, then. It's, it's a real unfortunate situation because he has got absolutely every ingredient that a superstar needs and he is doing all the right things. It's, it's, it's been said now that he's going to probably take on Linares in his next fight and then he wants the likes of Javante Davis. Bring these fights on. He's still a young kid, but I tell you what, he's got it all. He could he could really um, you know give these guys a fight. Like I say, he's doing things that Javante Davis couldn't do with the same opponent. Um, that one, by the way, was for the WBC Silver lightweight title. But the main event, it wasn't really the main event because that one was. But, um, you know, the main event, at least in my eyes, Jorge Linares, now 47-5. and five, A KO for him in the fourth round against Carlos Morales, now 19-5 and five with four draws. Um, Linares was cut himself from an accidental head clash in the first round. And Morales was down in rounds three and four. Again, Linares is a guy, I said it on last week's show, so I don't really want to repeat myself too much. But, um, you know, it seems like his career... Has, has had many ups and downs, you know, and um, you you just really never know which version of Linares you're going to get. Again, I said he should be beating guys like Morales. Um, you know, he 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 beat a guy that Morales drew with in his last fight, and Morales, all in all, just isn't that great. But the very impressive thing about this is Morales has boxed Ryan Garcia in the past, and it was a majority decision win over 10 rounds for Ryan Garcia. And, um, you know, Linares is going to be fighting Ryan Garcia next. And he got this man out of there in four rounds. So that is impressive. And it does build towards that match, which seems like it's going to be happening at some point later this year. So we won't have to wait too long for it. Um, I like the fact that Devin Haney got in the ring as well after the, the fights, you know, to, to get in the face of Ryan Garcia. That That just, you know, pointlessly built a little bit of... Hype up there between both men, I guess. Um, I think they're friends really outside of the ring. But, yeah, good fights really, you know. Um, I will just mention that Linares, both of his knockdowns were pretty much from the same combination. It was a jab to the body 
uh, jab to the body, followed by a short right hand over the top, and twice he had his man down, like I say, a fourth round KO, but Ryan Garcia, I will just say, it's early on in the year, but already I think that's a contender for knockout of the year, it was quite a scary one, Fonseca was down on the floor with wide eyes, you know, he wasn't blinking, his his eyes were just shocked, you know, and um, yeah, wide-eyed, laid out, completely spread out, and he honestly looked like he died of shock or something, you know, it was it was quite scary to see, I was glad when he got back up, um, but yeah, that's it, moving on from the Honda Centre, let's now move to the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom, let's fly through this one, over here, a return to the ring for Larry Ekandeo, he's now 16-1, and one. a points win for him over six rounds against the overmatched Nathan Hardy, who's now 9-30 and 30 with four draws, Fred Evans, the Welshman, returned to the ring as well, a good win for him, um, he's now 7-1, and one. it was a points win over six rounds against Wilma Gonzalez, who's now 20-17 and 17 with a draw, and finally, Harley Ben is now 8-1, and one. a points win for him over eight, or sorry, over four rounds against Dylan Draper, who's now 1-42, and 42. um... Moving out now to the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. This one was the final bill, I believe, to mention. Um, let's start with the undercard. We got to see Roche Warren pick up a win. He's now 17-3. and three. A unanimous decision for him over 10 rounds against Gilberto Mendoza. Pretty much a shutout there for Roche Warren. A guy that, for me, is a little bit of a forgotten man, really, down at Bantamweight. You know, it seems like he's disappeared. Um, I haven't even, you know, seen anything about him. Haven't seen any of his fights for a long time. I actually forgot he existed till I saw him on the on the bout sheet um, on fight week. But yeah, good win for him. He's hopefully back to, um, you know, he's never really been super active, but hopefully he's going to start getting a bit more active. I want to see him in those big fights. He's got a lot of talent. But topping the bill, Caleb Plant, friend of the show, now twenty and zero, a perfect record, a perfect defense of his IBF World Super Middleweight title against the game, the tough Vincent Feigenbutz. But it wasn't. It wasn't to be Feigenbutz's night. He's now 31-3, and three, a TKO for Caleb Plant in the 10th round. Um, to be honest, it was all Caleb Plant. He was just too good for Vinny Feigenbutz. Um, you know, from the first bell, you could tell that, to be honest. You know, it wasn't that competitive. Um, Caleb Plant had his number. Caleb Plant had too much for him. And Caleb Plant, I really like the way he was he was throwing his left hand. You know, not just the, the left hooks, not just the jabs, but also the uppercuts and stuff like that. When he let his hands go, Feigenbutz, you know, his, his defense was all over the place. And he didn't, you know, he didn't really know how to defend a lot of these shots that Caleb was throwing. Caleb was very much too too clever for him, and um, yeah, it was it was a it was a good win for Caleb. But a lot of people are now getting a bit annoyed. I think it's been a couple of opponents in a row now that you know haven't really got the fans super excited. It was a bit of a homecoming, so we'll give him a bit of an easy touch, um, you know excuse for that one I guess I think it was a mandatory it's weird because in the IBF rankings at super middle the um the the the, the number one and number two spots are both empty and number three was Feigenbutt so I think it probably was a mandatory um I think it was and um so so he had to he had to face him you know it's it's not it's not you know cherry picking or anything like that but obviously the fight before that I think was Mike Lee not everyone was too excited for that one but anyway it's a good win for Caleb hopefully the big fights um 
present themselves. There's been talks about Canelo perhaps picking up the phone and trying to trying to get the fight with Caleb. I think Caleb needed a bit more time for the Canelo fight in May. Um, but yeah, anyway, that is what it is. Hopefully we see him in there with the likes of Billy Joe Saunders or a Callum Smith in the near future. But that's it, though, for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated top welterweight contender. It is, of course, Mr. Michael McKinson. Mike, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. No problem. So, Mike, it's, uh, it's the first time you've been on on the show. Our listeners may not know tons about you, but just tell us. I mean, you're you're eighteen and zero now as a professional. You're ranked number eight, is it, with a WBO? Yeah, I was um, eighteen and zero, the WBO European champion. Uh, I was ranked at six by the WBO, but after a few months of inactivity, obviously, I've I've, I've moved up to eight. Um, I'm third in the UK out of 150 weights and the only two names ahead of me are Amir Khan and Josh Kelly. Um, so yeah, very highly ranked um, and got a big future. And obviously, you know, your style, you're very, very hard to hit. Um, that would indicate in, 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 in most cases that you had like a real long amateur career. Did you have much of an, an amateur career, Mike? I had a long amateur career, but I didn't have as many amateur like bouts as what many would think. I think I'd had 50 before turning pro. Um, but I was always training with the professionals from like the age of 14, with obviously my dad being a uh, a professional trainer and manager himself. So I was training with the pros early on. So that's why I turned pro really early. Okay, I see, I see. And, you know, since turning pro, you've had a real interesting run of, of fights. Obviously, you know, you picked up the, the WBC International Silver title back in 2017 when you were able to stop Colin Lines. I remember being sat ringside for that win over Sammy McNess at York Hall back in 2018. Um, just talk me through that fight because, I mean, McNess, you know, he's a good fighter. He's solid. He's strong. He can box. But you absolutely toyed with him that, that night, and I was just thoroughly impressed sitting there ringside. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that fight, I proved a lot of people uh, wrong. Um, obviously, Sam McNess was a GB standout amateur, and I was an average amateur, as they say, you know. Um, first fight on TV, and also it was in his backyard, and he was geared up for it. He, like, he got into my face at the weigh-in, and he, he started trying to talk the talk at the weigh-in, and I just stayed quiet, stayed humble. And I went out there and I put on one of my, my best performances, you know. Uh, if I was to fight him now, I, w- I would have probably st- stopped him. So I've learned a lot since fighting with this and things like that. But it was a great win for me because there's a lot of people that didn't know who I was. After that win, they knew who I was. Um, even, obviously, my management team, MTK, it was like my first big fight for them. And I had a lot to prove to them. And I feel like I did in that fight. Yeah, you certainly did. Like I say, that was the the performance that made me, you know, think, wow, this this guy is is the real deal. And obviously, people forget that you've beaten the likes of Ryan Martin, obviously um, Ryan Kelly as well. But let's talk about your last fight, a win last time out over Lewis Veron. Obviously, not a name people in the UK would be too familiar with. But the the story of the fight was that I think at the time you were ranked number twelve, he was ranked number six. Um, talk us through yeah. that one. It was it was a wide win for you once again. Yeah, so I'd won the WBO European, which gave me a, a ranking for the WBO. And they ranked me 12th. And we was trying to get somebody in the rankings. And there was a few names, because there was no British names that wanted to fight me. 
Uh, so we was trying to get somebody in the rankings, and um, they came up with that. Now, and I'm I'm never one to turn down a fight, you know. I've 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 fought everybody, whoever's put in front of me in my whole career. Uh, so they said uh, we've got Veron, an unbeaten Argentinian, the WBO Latino champion, um, is willing to come over and fight you. Yeah? So I said, let's have it, you know. I, I had the best training camp I ever had last time out. I spent like half my camp away, away from friends and family, um, away from my daughter and everything. I was out in America on my own. I was out in Spain on my own. So I had a tough camp beforehand and, and I definitely, I would say the Veron fight was my biggest win because he was unbeaten. He was uh, 19, I think 17 wins, two draws. Um, and I, I don't really give him a round, like maybe a share of a round in the fight. And like, I, I put in a very good performance last time out, you know. Yeah, you certainly did. Like I say, not a massive name, but, you know, you look at those rankings and we know that those Ar- Argentinians, real stubborn, you know, they come with a lot of heart and, um, like I say, yeah. a good win. Um, your next fight has been announced. You've managed to get a British fighter in the ring with you this time, the former Southern Area champion, yeah. Lewis Green. Um, what do you know about your opponent here, Mike? Yeah, I've seen Lewis Green a couple of times. You know, he's got a defeat on his record, but that was a few years ago now. Um, he's very tall. Six foot one is he? Six foot one. He's very tall. He's a very big puncher as well, and he he's a come forward fighter. So it's gonna it's gonna be a hell of a fight. Um, but I believe if I prepare myself, I'll, I'll put in all the work over the next few months. I'll, I'll beat him in style. Once I beat him in style, then I've proved that I am one of the best fighters in in the UK at my weight. Obviously, that it's a it's a massive. I'm in a massive division with a lot of good names and I'm near the top of, top of the list. So this fight's about me proving that I belong where I am and hopefully when I beat uh, Lewis Green, then it can move me on to something life-changing because I, I feel like I deserve it. So I've just got to keep playing the game, keep working hard, staying focused, get the job done on April the 18th and then see where we can go. And you know, you mentioned that you were you were out in the states for a while. Um, you know, you've you've travelled all, all around the place. You know, sparred and trained in in various different countries. Have you managed to spar any big names over the years? You know, like you mentioned the the stint out in the states. Um, any 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 big names you'd sparred out there at all? When I was out in the states, I was sparring a lot of prospects out there, and um, a couple of good amateurs that are on the US team a couple of good prospects that are coming through now. It was all about learning, developing from that uh, American style. Um, a few weeks before I was in America, I was sparring the former European champion, Kermela Haraga. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was asked to go out to Spain and spar him, which was a great experience for me. Um, I've sparred the likes of Josh Kelly, Josh Taylor. Um, I've sparred quite a lot of names um, over the years. Okay, excellent. I like to ask that question because you get a, a real uh, mix of different names, you know, from all over. Yeah. But, you know, we mentioned you've beaten good domestic fighters. In my eyes, you know, you've done more than enough to, to like, for example, uh, warrant you a shot at the British title. But then again, you've also picked yeah. up, you know, a WBC regional title, a WBO European title. So have you got that kind of desire to fight for the British at some stage or are you just going a different route? Because as we mentioned, you're world ranked now. Yeah, um, obviously, being in a division with 150 welterweights, you've got to take opportunities. Um, and that's why I have, I've took opportunities, I've took risks and took gambles my whole pro career. If, if that, uh, like the British 
uh, title comes up, then great. But if not, we've got plans, we've got other options. And obviously, I'm, I'm ranked well ahead of the British champion now. So I don't know if I'll, I'll get a shot at that, maybe. But even if I don't, I've got options and I've got places to go. And... You know, it's no secret that you've 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 talked about the Connor Ben fight in the past. Uh, obviously, there there is lots and lots of names at one four seven domestically. Um, I, I want to kind of ask you a bit of a fantasy question. If it was up to you, which three fighters would you like to fight in Britain? I'm sure Connor Ben will be one of the three. <laughs> Amir Khan, Josh Kelly, and Connor Ben. So the three toughest, probably. The I wouldn't say Connor Ben was up there with the toughest. Um, I wouldn't even say he's top five toughest if, if I was in a fight with British names, but them three, they bring the most money, they bring the bigger platform, and they bring the most exposure, and that's that's one thing I've been missing, you know? Uh, Connor Ben, I truly think would be an easy fight for me, as long as I'm prepared. He's, he's a, obviously a big puncher and stuff like that, but his style's made for me. And <laughs> there's a reason they don't talk about me. There's a reason they don't want to fight me and, and stuff like that. Um, he's he's not all hype because he is improving and he is putting on good shows, but he's not as good as what everyone thinks. Uh, and I would 100% expose him to expose him to the nation if I was to fight him. Uh, I've sparred Josh, uh, Josh Kelly a few times. Um, I'd be well up for that fight if that ever got offered to me. And then obviously Amir Khan's the number one who wouldn't want to fight him. And you mentioned Josh Kelly there. Obviously, he's he's got a real tough fight coming up. How do you see that fight playing out with David Avanesian? I obviously the last couple of times Josh Kelly hasn't really impressed. He hasn't looked amazing up, like over in two thousand and nineteen. Whereas David Avanesian has. He's come off three brilliant, explosive knockout wins. Um, I, I think Avanesian. It, it'll be a tough fight for the first half of the fight. He'll probably be down on the scorecards, but the later it goes, I think Avanesian will walk him down and stop him. Okay, I see. Oh, a brilliant fight, though. Of course, we're all looking forward to that. Another another brilliant fight domestically. Chris Congo against Lufa Clay. I think that's, yeah. on, the, that's yeah. on the same card. How do you see that one playing out, Mike? See, that fight interests me also because they're, they've uh, the champion Lufa Clay's got the... WBO Global, so he's the other British fighter in the WBO rankings. So it makes sense with me, do you know what I mean? Getting the winner. Um, I've sparred both of them. Uh, I've sparred... I used to spar Clay quite a lot early on in our careers, and I only sparred Congo the once, and that was early on in our careers as well. Um, I feel like both of them have improved. I think Clay's been a lot more active than Congo, and I think that could play a part. I think maybe late, the later the fight goes, because Clay's very durable. Although Congo can punch, Clay's very durable. Um, and the later the fight goes, it just plays more into uh, Luther's hands, I, I believe. But it's a, it, like, I'm well excited for the fight. Like, I'm, I, that is one fight that excites me, just not even as like somebody that would want to fight the winner, just in general as a fan, that fight excites me, you know? Um, so yeah, like may the best man win, and hopefully down the line I can get the winner. And obviously, you know, you're ranked with a WBO the champion at the minute, being Terence Crawford. Do you see him as the king of the division? Obviously, everyone's real, real split at the minute. It's between most people. It's between um, Spence and Crawford. 
Who do you see the king of of, of one four seven in on the world scene, or maybe even Pacquiao? Uh oh, I would I would rank him Crawford, then I would rank him Spence, then probably Porter, and then Pacquiao. Okay, okay, the top four. Okay, okay. No, I like that four there. Um, just coming down really to the last couple of questions for you, Mike. I got to get your your take on the uh, the big one this weekend, the rematch out there in the oh, states. Mate. Fury Wilder, talk to me. <laughs> oh mate, oh, speaking about it earlier, Tyson Fury is my favourite boxer, my favourite sportsman in general. You know, um, I love Tyson Fury. I love everything what he's about and and stuff like that. He's an inspiration to so many people. Um, and I, I just really want him to win so bad. I just feel like I, if Wilder catches him, there's no getting up this time. I, I truly, th- I truly think that. Uh, but my heart saying one thing and my head saying the other. You know, it's one of them. So I, I, I don't really want to call the fight. I don't really want to call that one. Um, yeah, I can't. It's, it's a tough one. Like I say, we all, we all, we all definitely yeah. agree, though. You know, if it goes distance, it should be Fury's fight. If it ends inside the distance, probably Wilder's. Unfortunately, if if I was to put my money on it, I'd go Wilder KO. Oh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> neither, <laughs> do I, neither do I. Trust me. Trust me. Hopefully, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. But Mike, just coming down to the last real thing here, I want to just kind of throw it over to you, give you the the floor if you like. If you've got any closing words before before we let you go, perhaps if you've got any sponsors you want to just give a mention to, you're welcome to do so. And also give out your social media handles so anyone listening can can you know can follow you, can jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, obviously, if there's people out there that are interested and don't really follow me, not sure who I am. Um, if you want to start following my journey, my social media is a Mikey the Problem on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, I've got obviously fighting next April the 18th, a big fight in London. I'm the number three, I'm fighting the number four, so it should be exciting. So follow that journey. Uh, I'd just like to say a big thanks to, to my sponsors because, like, being a professional athlete in general, nothing's possible without sponsorship and, and the right backing, um, especially if you want to move up the levels. So my sponsors are Reup Worldwide, CGS Gas Services, Core Sports, Skyline Group, Gym Buddy, and North End Motors, and also Four Marketing. I've got a lot. I've got a lot of people um, backing me. A lot of people uh, believing in me. Uh, so I'm very blessed. All I can do is stay focused, do my thing, and then we'll take over the world. Well said, my man. Shout out to those sponsors. Also, like I say, if you want to follow Michael on Instagram or Twitter, it is once again at Mikey the Problem. But listen, Mike, it has been a real, real pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Best of luck for April 18th in London, and we'll catch up sometime after for sure. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Joey. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I as it's been, it's been, uh, it's been hard doing the news on my own. You're back. What news do you have for us? Yes, uh, one second. Okay, um, so um, Arto Batavia uh, will look to defend his uh, unified light heavyweight championship when he takes on Men Fan Long on Saturday, March twenty eighth. 
Yes, Fan Long Meng, Meng Fan Long. I'm not quite sure which way it's supposed to be said. But anyway, I remember him because he boxed Frank Buglioni in Frank Buglioni's final fight. And to be honest, he battered Buglioni. I never understood why Buglioni took the fight when there was a lot of big fights in Britain he could have took. And Fan Long Meng was a real good amateur. I think he may have been a southpaw. Um, I can't remember now. But, you know, he was he was a real hard fight for Buglioni. It was in Monaco. And, um, yeah, he, he beat Buglioni. I think he stopped him in about four or five rounds. This is all completely going off memory, so I hope I haven't completely got that wrong. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good fight, you know. A lot of people obviously aren't going to know who Meng is unless you remember that one fight, because other than that, he hasn't been on British television as far as I know. But it's a tough fight. It's a tactical fight, but obviously you'd have to favour Baturbiev, who um, who looked brilliant when he took on Gavozdik, didn't he? So, uh yeah, it's it's, it's going to be a good fight, though. Believe me, I think that's um, that's that's a lot of you know a lot more competitive than than people probably giving it credit for that fight there. Yep, Naya Inouye will face uh, John Rio Casemiro for the ban- uh, for the bantamweight title on April the twenty fifth on Saturday at the Mandalay Bay. Yeah, the Mandalay Bay. John Rio Casemiro. Obviously, we know him very well, um, especially for. For um for beating Charlie Edwards on that Brooke Golovkin undercard when Charlie Edwards had a chance to become the quickest Englishman to win a world title, but anyway, it wasn't to be for him. Um, you know, Casemiro has has been in a few fights since then. I think he's picked up maybe one or two losses. Um, but most recently, I can't remember who he beat now, but he looked real good and he kind of. Zolani Tete. Yeah, that's it. Zolani Tete. You're right. Yeah, so that 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 win against Zolani Tete was a shock, and he stopped him early there. So uh, you know he's kind of he's he's kind of back, you know. Um, so yeah, he's coming off a great win, but yeah, he, he takes on Inoue. You've got to respect Inoue because Inoue is just trying to become. Uh, it looks like he's trying to become undisputed. You know, he's got two of the belts. He's going for the for the third one here against Zolani Tete. So you know, it's a, it's a big unification fight and of course the winner hopefully takes on the WBC bantamweight world champion who I cannot remember who that is at the minute but yeah um yeah credit to Inoue for chasing the big fights and uh you got to favor him of course uh, there's a couple of good fights on the undercard Jason Jason Maloney yeah yeah Jason Maloney he takes on Joshua Greer Jr that's uh that's going to be a good fight Joshua Greer Jr friend of the show 22 and 1 with a draw he's the guy that likes to bring out the pillow with all the Z's on it he's going to put you to sleep and all that um but yeah you know he's 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 had a bit of a dry spell, you know. He was knocking a few people out. I think he was coming off about six KOs in a row, something like that, maybe seven. And then, obviously, he had that majority decision over 12 rounds. I think it was his first 12-rounder. He didn't look great in that fight. Some people thought he should have probably lost. And then he's coming off the win against Antonio Nieves. Again, quite a close fight over 10 rounds. So uh, he seems to, you know, have, have fizzled out a little bit. But, you know, he takes on Jason Maloney. A lot of people know the Maloney twins. A lot of people think that Andrew Maloney's the better of the two twins. Obviously, Jason's the one that got beat by Emmanuel Rodriguez in the World Boxing Super Series. But there's no shame in that one because um, Emmanuel Rodriguez is a quality, quality operator. So uh, can't really read too much into that. But that's a brilliant fight. That's a real test. And I'd probably favor Maloney, if I'm being honest, in that one there. But cracking fight for... Um, you know, cracking fight for the undercard of a cracking fight. You know, we just mentioned topping the bill, um, Inoue and Casemiro in that unification. Also, Andrew Cancio's on the bill against Tyler McCreary. Um, Tyler McCreary, his only loss came to Carl Frampton back in November, just gone. So, uh, 
yeah, that's a, that's a good fight for Andrew Cancio as well, trying to get his foot back on the ladder after losing his world title last time out to Rene Alvarado. So, um, yeah, good things. Is that it for the news, Ayaz? Yeah, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving on now to tomorrow night's card. It's happening at the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London. Um, it's the golden contract thing. But the brilliant thing here is that it's... Um, you know they're they're putting the super lightweights on the same card as the um is it the super bantamweights i think so it's all on one card it's it's going to be a brilliant night of boxing i can't believe i'm not going actually i really should have tried to get into this one because um it's it's a brilliant brilliant card firstly the way they did it is there was obviously eight men in the beginning of the tournament and then you know there was four fights between the eight men the four winners proceeded into the next round the four winners um in the super lightweight tournament were Tyrone McKenna, Mohamed Mamoun, O'Hara Davies and Jeff Afori um and basically they all put their hands in a in a bag or whatever and there was three red balls and one golden ball this time if you draw the golden ball then you get your choice out of the three opponents who all drew red balls and um O'Hara Davies put his hand in the bag he was the guy who took the first pick and straight away he picked a gold ball so he could choose out of Tyrone McKenna who of course he's had this long standing feud with or he could have chose Mohamed Mamoun former opponent of Sam Eggington former European champion probably the favourite to go on to win the whole thing or he could have chosen Jeff Ofori who um, you know has had a couple good wins on, on short notice and stuff like that in his recent couple of fights but other than that He's not a, you know, he's not an outstanding fighter. He's he's probably viewed as the weak the weak link out of the four. Anyway, to everyone's surprise, O'Hara Davies decided to choose Jeff Afori. So O'Hara Davies twenty and two takes on Jeff Afori ten and one with a draw. Again, I don't really think Afori's gonna gonna be able to deal with the power of of O'Hara Davies and the awkwardness. You know, he's got those freakishly long arms, and I just think O'Hara's gonna be able to nail him. Um, you know, and probably get him out of there at some point in the fight. So quite surprised to see that one taking place. Um, O'Hara Davies said he would like the final to be him and Tyrone McKenna. The problem is Tyrone McKenna and Mohamed Mamoun didn't really get a chance, you know, to pick. That they just had to. They ended up. They were the only two left, so they ended up having to fight each other. So Tyrone McKenna twenty and one with a draw takes on Mohamed Mamoun twenty two and three. Definitely Mamoon will be the favourite in that one, and he will probably win, so we probably won't get the Tyrone McKenna and O'Hara Davies fight. The final, in my opinion, will probably end up being O'Hara Davies against Mohamed Mamoon. But moving on now to the... I think it's Super Bantamweight. I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I think it's the Super Bantamweight tournament. So exactly the same kind of thing. The the three Red Bulls and the one Golden Ball. Um... This time we had Ryan Walsh, 25-2 and two with two draws. He drew the golden ball and he decided to take on Tyrone McCullough, who's 14-0, and 0, so that's over 10 rounds there. Ryan Walsh, again, probably choosing the weaker link out of the other three guys. And the other two guys, who of course had no choice but to take each other on, are Jazza Dickens, friend of the show, 28-3. and three. He takes on Lee Wood, 23-1. and one. Of course, Lee Wood, really, really impressive in recent fights, so. So uh, that's an interesting fight there. That's probably fight of the night there. Jazza Dickens and Lee Wood. So um, very, very interesting contest there. All the best to everyone involved in that excellent tournament. And also shout out to Lee Eaton for um, bringing us the fights that we want to see. Real 50-50 fights. Talking of 50-50 fights, let's move over to the York Hall in Bethnal Green. Um, 
This is actually taking place on the Saturday, so there's a fight there on the Friday and on the Saturday, so if you can uh, can get into that excellent card I've just mentioned on the Friday, if you can hide somewhere for about 24 hours, you'll get to see Saturday night's fights for free. Um, on this one, though, we get to see friend of the show, Willie Hutchinson, 10-0. He's in an eight-rounder, no opponent just yet. Also, Dennis McCann, the high-flying young prospect, 5-0. He's in a six-rounder against Pablo Navarez, who nine and nine team with seven draws ryan the piranha garner your man from southampton has returns to the ring eight and oh he's in a six rounder against jamie quinn who's seven and 99 with two draws i think even quinn himself probably just wants to lose so he can get to a hundred losses um Muhammad Ali also makes his debut, former um, former member of the Team GB squad. He is in a four-rounder against Stefan Sachev, who's 5-27 and 27 with a draw. Um, Willie Hutchinson, I mentioned him already. Um, Cody Davies, 10-0. He's taking on Umar Sadiq, 9-1. Obviously, Umar Sadiq, his one loss came to... Um, I forgot the guy's name now. He's from Fulham. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Zach Chelly. He lost to Zach Chelly, didn't he, at the Brentwood Centre, Umar Sadiq. And Zach Chelly is a guy that I think Cody Davies beat in his very last fight. So they've got that common opponent. And judged off of that, you'd probably have to favour Cody Davies going into this one. But we've gone to the predictions nonetheless. The Prediction League is back. Ayaz, um, give me your prediction. Umar Sadiq and Cody Davies. I'm going to go with Umar Sadiq to win on points. Well, that's interesting. That is interesting. That really is. Um, the listeners going with Davies by KO, um, that was 50%. In second place, 37% for Davies on points and just 13% for Sadiq on points. 0% for Sadiq by KO. I'm going to have to agree with the listeners here. I think Davies gets the KO. I just think Sadiq's, you know, he's tall. He's he's a good boxer. He's, uh <sighs> I don't know. He was down against Chelly, and I just think Cody Davies looks so solid, and he can punch, you know. So uh, I'd be quite surprised if Umar Sadiq remains on his feet for the whole fight. Um, he may get back up, you know. He did it against Chelly in a brilliant fight, and I'd like to think he'd learn from that fight because that was that was a brilliant fight, almost too early in both men's careers. There, no title on the line, if I remember correctly, and um, you know it was a brilliant, brilliant fight, absolutely brilliant fight that one. But um, yeah, that that'd be a good fight there. Like I say, he's he's close to a fifty-fifty fight. Um, and topping the bill, Brad Foster eleven and zero with two draws takes on Lucian Reed eight and zero with two draws. That one's for the British Super Bantamweight title over twelve rounds. There, um, obviously, both men drew in there in their, um, I think it was both of their last fights, it was very controversial, a lot of people thought that Reed won, a lot of fe- a lot of people thought that Foster won, so the rematch is taking place, hopefully, no matter what happens, we don't see another draw there, hopefully the right man gets the win, and now moving out to Las Vegas, the final bill to mention at the MGM Grand in Nevada, USA, of course, Let's start with the undercard. Emmanuel Navarrete, one of my fighters of 2019, his record 30 and 1. He takes on Jew Santissima. That one's over 12 rounds. That one is um, for Navarrete's WBO World Super Bantamweight title. Jew Santissima boasts a record of 19 wins and two losses. Um, just want to quickly look into him because I'm not going to lie, I, I'm not too sure who he is. Uh, Santissima, 
Two losses, never been stopped though. Both losses came within his first four fights. So his, his record when he first turned over after four fights was two and two. Um, since then, he's put together a real string of wins and... Uh, He's beaten a couple of decent guys, but let's be honest, Emmanuel Navarrete, he is he is picking a cherry a little bit there, if I'm being honest. Um, also on the bill, both men on this one are friends of the show. Charles Martin, 27-2 and two with a draw, former um, heavyweight world champion. He takes on Gerald Washington, former heavyweight world title challenger, 20-3 with a draw. 12 rounds, I ask. Charles Martin, Gerald Washington... Very, very good fight there, um, or it may be completely boring. But anyway, we've gone to the predictions on it. How do you see that one unfolding? I'm going to go with, uh, did you say Gerald Washington is facing? Gerald Washington and Charles Mines. I'm going to go with Gerald Washington, knock him out. Uh, do, uh, I'm going with Gerald Washington, knock Charles Martin out. Okay. Okay, interesting. Obviously, Charles Martin has those two losses to Adam Kalnacki on points in a very close fight, and then his only stoppage loss came to Anthony Joshua. Um, the listeners have gone with... Let me just double-check. The listeners have gone with um, Charles Martin to win on points. Um, I'm going to disagree with both of you, actually. Um, I'm going to go with... I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Charles Martin to win by a KO. I actually hope I'm wrong because I like Gerald Washington quite a lot more than I like Charles Martin. Not that Charles Martin's ever done anything wrong really, but um Gerald's been on the show many more times. He's a nice guy and um it's it's a hard fight for him, you know, it's a hard fight for him. He 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 has done some brilliant things. I think he only had about eight amateur fights, something like that. He's gone straight into the pros, learning on the job, had the world title fight, was beating Deontay Wilder, was probably shutting him out till he got stopped. And the only thing that, for me, goes against him here is that his three losses have all came by KO. Obviously, Jarrell, Big Baby Miller, we won't go into the details on that one. Deontay Wilder, a fight he was winning till he got stopped. And then, of course, Adam Kalnacki, where I'm just not sure what happened there. Um, um, Adam Kalnacki, obviously, we mentioned, had the fight with Charles Martin, beat him in a real close fight. Charles Martin, I think, has got a decent-ish gas tank, should I say, if he if he takes his training seriously, which is another big if. Um, but I think he's probably got enough, unfortunately, to beat um, Gerald Washington. You know, just the fact that he's a southpaw, the fact that he can punch, the fact that he's probably got a bit of, a bit of a better engine. He's more schooled, and he's been in those bigger fights. You know, not 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 by far, but he's had the Anthony Joshua fight. Um, he's been a world champion. He's had the pressure on him. So I just think that the pressure will be a key factor here. I think the pressure that Charles Martin puts on. Gerald Washington may cause Gerald Washington to become undone, and um, yeah, that that can happen in fights. If Gerald Washington's not comfortable, things go wrong. Um, also on the card, he was on last week's show. Isaac Lowe, friend of the show, nineteen and zero with three draws. I incorrectly called him a, a lightweight for some reason. Knowing that he was definitely a featherweight, he takes on Alberto Guevara, 27-5. and 5. Obviously, Guevara been in there with the likes of Shakur Stevenson, Hugo Ruiz, Emmanuel Rodriguez, um, Yamanaka, and Leo Santa Cruz. So this guy is a very good fighter, even though all those those opponents I've just mentioned there he's lost to. He's a good fighter. He's a tough guy, and he's only been stopped twice, and that was to Shakur Stevenson and to Yamanaka. So he went the distance with Santa Cruz and big punch in Hugo Ruiz and, of course, Emmanuel Rodriguez. And, you know, 
you've got to be some fighter to, to, to go the distance with those guys there. So this is a tough fight for Isaac Lowe. Admittedly, he said it himself, his last fight was his worst performance. If he shows up like that, no doubt in my mind he loses. So he's got to be on his A game here. This is a very, 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 very tough fight. Um, all the best to Isaac Lowe. And let's just go straight to the main event. The final fight to mention, Iaz. Deontay Wilder, 42-0 with a draw. It's for his WBC World Heavyweight crown against Tyson Fury, 29-0 with a draw. I'm sure that we're going to be bickering about this back and forth for the next few minutes. So I'm going to come to you first. I'm just going to quickly give the listeners prediction on the poll. They have gone with Wilder very, very narrowly. They've gone Wilder by KO. That's 43%. In second place, Fury on points. And um, that's probably the two most... Well, that definitely is the two most popular outcomes. You know, the, the general consensus is if it goes to points, Fury wins, even though that wasn't what happened last time. And of course, if it ends in the distance, it will be um, it will be Deontay Wilder picking up the KO. No real mention um no point mentioning Fury by KO and Wilder on points. Those those uh, those percentages, 13% and 4%, so nowhere near. But yeah, just marginally, the listeners have gone for Wilder by KO. I hope that they're wrong. Ayaz, how do you see the fight? And of course, just talk to me, talk me through your angle. Well, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to disagree with the fans and I'm going to go with the Tyson Fury on points because I'm back in the brick. The reason is because it's that Wilder is just a punch and obviously Wilder is going to just going to go for the knockout. As we see in the previous fight, right, um, Tyson Fury was winning the fight. In my opinion, Tyson Fury won the previous fight. Tyson, uh, Deontay Wilder landed his biggest punch before he knocked him out. Tyson Fury got back up and won that round. In, in my opinion, I'm going to go with Tyson Fury and win on points, and I think Tyson Fury is going to box him, but, uh, and I think Tyson Fury is going to box him. But I want the one thing I'm concerned about is that heel when he fought Tom Schultz. If that's healed properly. Obviously, we've seen in an interview he said that he went to the best physician doctor in, in, the, in the US and got that healed up properly. But I, I, I want to see that. But I, if I'm going to go with the winner, like I said, Tyson Fury to win on points. Back to Brit. I see some. I seen some of his training. He said that he's been putting hands in petrol. I find that really. I find that really weird. But apparently, a lot of being told that that actually helps you out. But yeah, I hope he. I hope he does it. He needs to win it. He got robbed in his last fight. Uh, he got he got robbed in the last fight against uh, Deontay Wilder, and, I, and hopefully he shouldn't get robbed in this time because he's going to win it and he's going to bring the belts back to the UK. It wasn't Tom Schwartz he got cut against, was it? Who did he get cut against again? It wasn't Schwartz. Well, it wasn't Tom. Sh- it was Otto Ali. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Just making sure. Um, yeah, you know, very, uh, very interesting fight. Of course, I feel like there's so much to discuss about it. I don't want to go. You know, I don't want to be talking for too long and keep going over the same points. But in a nutshell, I think that Tyson Fury boxed Deontay Wilder when he wasn't ready at all. I mean, Tyson Fury, I I even half of me kind of thought in the first fight, is he just turning up for a quick payday? Then he's going to retire when he gets KO'd because he wasn't in. I mean, he'd lost a lot of weight. So let's be fair to him. He had lost a lot of weight, but he still wasn't in the greatest shape. And I questioned his confidence going into the fight. Does he really think he's going to win when he's not in great shape? He's had those two comeback fights that were really like sparring sessions. And obviously he proved me wrong. You know, he was absolutely brilliant in the first fight. And, he switched off a couple of times, and that's where he got caught. Now, he's in much, much, much better shape. He's in probably the shape of his life, or at least right on par with his previous shape of his life, which was probably the Klitschko fight, or the second Klitschko fight, which never happened. He was in great shape. Um, but yeah, he looks brilliant, and I think that because he's in just that little bit better shape, 
well, much better shape. I think that is going to work in his favour, of course. I think his reflexes and everything's going to be a lot sharper. I think that in times of that first fight, he did he did have a couple of lapses in concentration, and that is why he got caught. I think he he's learnt from those mistakes. I definitely think he has learnt from those mistakes. There was a BT Sport kind of build-up show that they did. Um, I think it was last week or whatever. Ben Davidson said the worst thing the worst thing that has happened for Deontay Wilder is Tyson Fury got up from those shots, and they were the shots that made him realise, wow, I cannot switch off for one second in this rematch. And I kind of agree with that. I think Tyson Fury knows he cannot afford to switch off at all. Even if Deontay Wilder looks tired, even if Deontay Wilder, you know... Has has been performing badly and has lost every round. He cannot afford to switch off at all because Deontay Wilder, as we've seen many many times before, doesn't get disheartened throughout the fight. He keeps trying to throw that one shot, and Deontay Wilder himself pretty pretty um, honestly sums it up, and he says, "You need to be ready um, and and you know." perfect for 36 minutes of the fight I need to be perfect for one second and that's what he means when he says he's got that you know that that one second he needs to, to put your lights out um so it's it's, a, it's it's obviously a very very hard fight to call in the first fight I thought Tyson Fury would lose in the Klitschko fight I thought Tyson Fury would lose but this time I'm actually going for Fury to win um I think he wins on points I think he out hustles um he out hustles Deontay Wilder just like he should have won the first fight, you know. I don't, I don't believe him when he says he's going to try and bang him out of there in a round or in two rounds or whatever he's been saying. I think, you know, he's been saying things like this his whole career. It's just, it's just to get people talking. You know, he's a, he's a master when it comes to manipulating the media and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, for me, he wins on points. A very um, careful, cautious. 12 round points decision but he's got to stay switched on like I say because one shot and that could be the end of it um, just talking about it now thinking about it now for the first time pretty much in months you know it's, it's come around a lot quicker than I thought it would come around when the first announcement got made and just thinking about it now I absolutely cannot wait you know it's going to be probably the most highest anticipated fight of, of the whole year you know or even of a couple years combined you know this is this is a mega fight, you know, this is as big as it gets, hopefully the winner does fight, um, does fight Anthony Joshua, but I've said it before, for me, these are the one and two in the division, and whoever wins and loses, they still remain one or two, um, but yeah, I think Tyson Fury gets him on points, I'm not quite happy with the the switch of trainer, I, I still don't really understand that, um, Ben Davison, when he first got the job as Tyson Fury trainer, a lot of people were, were saying, you know, he doesn't really know what he's doing, he was terrible in the corner with Billy Joe Saunders, I feel like since then, he's really proved his worth, you know, especially on that build-up show, watching the little things he notices, you know, he's very tactical, he's got a fantastic trainer's eye, Ben Davison, and without him in the corner, I think it's a big loss, you know, but, Tyson Fury's that good. I don't think he needs anyone in the corner. Um, he's got Andy Lee as well, we should mention. Uh, it's, it's just so intriguing. It's so, so intriguing. But um, I hope Tyson Fury can do it. I think he will do it. But like I say, it's just, it's, it, it, is, it is such an exciting fight. Anything can happen at any point. Um, yeah, I don't want to go on too long. Like I say, there's many, many angles that we can analyze here. I'm going to keep it short. Tyson Fury points. I, as you say the same, the listeners have gone with Wilder to get the KO. This is a perfect place to end it because, of course, we're going to be all tuning in um, come Saturday night. Pay-per-view on BT Sport. £25. Bit annoying, but 
definitely I'm paying that. There's no way in the world I'm going to rely on a dodgy stream to deliver for me. Um, forget that. So yeah, that is it. That is it for the preview part of the show. Enjoy the fights. I'm sure you will. And the final thing to do just before we wrap up part two is to welcome our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA heavyweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Lucas Brown. Lucas, welcome back on the show, my man. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Always a pleasure speaking with you. So, Lucas, we last spoke back in July. It was just before the supposed Tom Little fight that, of course, at the last minute fell through. Um, That must have been a real frustrating period for yourself. A lot of people still aren't quite sure what exactly happened. Um, Could you just... You know, shed a little bit of light on on what happened, and obviously how frustrating it was to to get over such a crazy situation. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was a weird time. Um, I'd been flown out to the UK, uh, put up in a hotel. Uh, it was actually a pub, um, but a, a friend of the family sort of stuff. Um, oh, we were ready to fight. Um, there was myself, my trainer, and another fighter from my gym who was going to be on the show. Um, we were ready to go, ready to fight, um, and basically Rich Energy pulled the plug because they failed to basically do everything they should have done. So um, there was no there was no opponents, there was no purses, there was no venue, uh, there was no hotels, there was nothing. So unfortunately, I was left in the UK uh, with no fight and really no answer. So it was unfortunate, but... Unfortunately, these these things happen, and uh, we have to move forward. For sure, and like I say, that fight would have been a real exciting fight. It's a great shame it never happened. Obviously, you mentioned you're in the UK, ready to fight, then it just fell apart last minute. You had to travel all the way back to Australia. It was quite shocking, actually. Um, But your next fight has been announced. This one seems to be a lot more secure. It will be against Otto Wallin on March 28th in Vegas. This is a real tough fight here, Lucas. Um, Would you say you're the underdog in this one? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, if, if you look at current popularity, you'd have to put it to him because basically his claim to fame in the moment is uh, losing the Tyson Fury. Um, yeah, obviously, I've, I've won the world title and all this sort of stuff, but I've done more in my career and had better fights. Uh, but at the current moment, he's known for losing the Tyson Fury. He's obviously in everyone's uh, on, on everyone's tongue at the moment. So. Um, I'd say from the media's point of view, him, uh, but I say I put it as a 50-50 fight. And of course, he showed how tough he is against Tyson Fury. I feel like the cut in that fight that um, you know that Fury had did play a real major factor, if I'm honest. Perhaps he wouldn't have gone the distance otherwise. But this time, I really don't see this one going the distance, Lucas. I know you're not a fan of letting it go in into the judges' hands at the end of a fight. Um, this This one surely ends inside the distance, right? That'll, that'll be one of my goals. Like, I, I won't be looking actively to knock him out, but I'm not going to be going there to to tap-tap and, and go through the motions either. So if I see the opportunity, I'm get, definitely going to jump, jump on it um, and show everyone how it should have been done where Tyson sort of failed at the same time. So for me, it's something to prove. Um, specifically coming from his, his loss against Tyson Fury, I can then take that and, and capitalise on it. Yeah, like I say, if you are to get him out of there, it really will be a big statement. Um, when we last spoke, it was just a few days after David Price beat Dave Allen, and you made it quite clear at the time that David Price was a man that you really wanted to, to fight at some point in the near future. I just really wanted to ask, is that still something you're hoping to pursue, or is it not really something that looks like it's going to happen anytime soon? 
at, at this point in time in my career, I, I basically want two things. I want good fights that people want to see, and I want money. So I think, as you said, the Tom Little fight uh, created a buzz. People were going to watch it. Uh, it was, it was going to get me paid. Uh, David Price would be even more so. So for me, as long as, it, um, as, long as people want to see the fight, it's a good fight. Um, and I get paid, I'll fight anyone. So I think price is definitely one of those. And we've really whizzed through these questions pretty quickly. My last real question, I've got to get your take on this, of course. The big fight takes place in just two days' time. The rematch, Wilder Fury. How do you see it playing out, Lucas? Well, a lot of people don't like my uh, my thoughts on this, unfortunately, but I am who I am, and I'll say what the hell I want. But <laughs> I think that Tyson Fury lost the first fight, and... I say that because Wilder is the champion and you have to go in and beat the champion. Now, I don't believe that Tyson Fury beat the champion. I, I think it was a great fight. There was elements on both sides. Uh, but you do have to beat the champion. Now, in saying that, I do believe Wilder now knows how to knock Fury out. And I think he will. Uh, good luck to both, of course. I, I think it's a 50-50 fight. But as we've seen many, many, many times now, all Wilder needs is that one punch, and I think he's going to do it this time. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Not too long to wait to find out, though. And just finally, Lucas, <laughs> any closing words at all just to our listeners before we let you go? Obviously, it's been a little while since we last caught up. Basically, I've, I've learned a lot in the last year. Um, obviously, who to, who, to, who to trust, who not to trust, and, and a lot about myself mentally and physically. So I'm in a good place, uh, both mentally and physically. Uh, I'm 40 years old. I don't want to be doing this for too much longer, say two, three years max. So for me, it is really about getting in there, good performances, getting paid and getting out. So there's some exciting times to come because I want to make a statement. Well said, my man. Listen, Lucas, as you know, it is always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. Best of luck with the rest of your preparations and, of course, the fight in Vegas for March 28th. And I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime afterwards, my man. Legend, mate. Thank you very much. I always appreciate it. Okay, and this wraps up episode 227 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been the, the usual elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the undefeated and reigning WBO European welterweight champion, Mr. Michael McKinson, and of course the former WBA heavyweight world champion, Mr. Lucas Brown. A massive thank you to you, the listeners, for making this show what it is. Um, if you do get a chance please um, give us a review on iTunes. That really does mean a lot. The Prediction League is finally back. It's been away for a while, but it's back, and it's back big this weekend. Um, enjoy your weekends, people. Most importantly, stay safe, enjoy the fights, which I'm sure you will, and we shall see you all again next week.